John chapter number four. We're kicking off a new mini-series entitled, I forgot my title, isn't that bad? That's horrible, Collision. We're going to be dealing with collisions the last couple, for the next couple weeks. And as soon as I say that word, some of you may be thinking of a collision that you've been in, that you've maybe experienced. Um, I would uh, have to say, even though I like to think I'm a good driver in my younger days, um, I've been in one or two, three or four, four or five collisions in my time. And uh, one was in college. I worked a night job. And um, I pretty much just fell asleep at the wheel, okay? Work all night, took my buddy to work. Coming back, the school bus on the other side of the street put us little red flashers. And uh, I don't know if the law is still the same, but at that time, both lanes of traffic had to stop. Well, I'm just kind of barely there. I'm driving back, hadn't gotten a whole lot of sleep and everything. And all of a sudden, everybody in front of me starts stopping. Only problem is, I didn't stop. So, bam, ran into somebody, and then somebody actually ran into me as well. So, so, so it wasn't just me. Somebody hit me as well. I was thinking, man, this is pretty bad. I hit somebody. And then after that, the worst part of that story was that happened in 2005. 2007, I was working. I was a manager inside Costco, and I was getting a hot dog at Costco. And um, I'm getting my hot dog from this lady, and this lady says, you hit me. I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, you hit me with your car. And I was like. What? I hadn't had an accident in like three or four months. I was like, you know, who is this? You know, it'd been a little while. I was like, come on, I'm on a really good stretch right now, you know? And she was like, no, 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 remember the school bus? I was like, oh, yeah, but I didn't rec- She was like the first one. So I was the, somebody hit me. I hit the person in front of me, but the person in front of me hit them, who hit them, and then hit her. She was like, oh, yeah. And she thought this would be a great story to tell me. She's like, so I called on my insurance, and I said, oh, I got this really bad neck injury. She's like, I called your insurance and told them this. They gave her a $7,000 check, and I never knew. And they were, she was like, yeah, I got seven grand from your insurance company because I said I hurt my neck. And they just kind of went with it. She was like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was like, just give me my hot dog, and I shouldn't even have to pay a buck fifty for this. Just give it to me. I almost want to throw it at her, you know. But uh, collisions. You know, in life, when it comes to a collision, nobody intends for that to happen. Nobody, nobody thinks, I want to wrap my car around a telephone pole today. Nobody thinks, I want to take my car and plow it into that building. Nobody thinks that. What happens is a collision means you're headed one way and there's an object headed the other and you guys meet head on. And we're going to look at several characters leading up to eventually we're going to come to, we're going to call it a message on the collision at the cross on Easter Sunday. And we're going to meet these people that Jesus himself said, I'm not sending Peter, I'm not sending James, I'm not sending John. He said, I'm going to go. They need a collision with me. They need to meet with me. And I could almost subtitle this, it was a job for Jesus. Some of you, your life is a job for Jesus. He met you head on. And if there was, you look back in your life and you're thinking, it had to have been God. Because there's no other way to explain how I came to Christ. It was God met me where I was. I may have been headed the right direction, wrong direction, whatever direction it was. But that's when you had this collision. And it was nothing else but you just saying, all right, God, I get the message. All right. I I, I hear you loud and clear. I'm, I'm now getting my eyes 
back on you. And in John chapter number four, we're going to see just such a passage of scripture where somebody has a collision, a date with destiny, so to speak. I've really entitled this message, Satisfaction Guaranteed. You've seen all the info, uh, info commercials. You've seen the labels where people will tell you, hey, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. You buy this car, you'll never want to buy any other car. Hey, you buy this outfit, you'll never ever want to own another outfit again. We give you 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And I don't know about you, has that ever worked for any of you? Anybody out there, that 100% satisfaction guaranteed work? No, it doesn't work. It never holds up. It never lasts. There's always something about it where you're like, it's just not quite everything I thought it would be. It's not quite living up to my expectations. And so we're going to look at this passage. And really, I want to ask ourselves the question, what happens when your situation collides with the Savior? What happens when you do have that collision? And maybe some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I'm in a situation right now. And I'm in a moment, and I do need some help. I'm at a point in my life where, where my situation, it's got to change. Something's got to give. I, I, I can't keep going this way. Something's got to change, and something's got to give, and, and, and I'm frustrated, or I'm scared. And Lord, I know you say you love me, but why do I feel so alone? God, I, I know your word says that you're going to take care of all my needs, but Lord, I got a lot of needs, and I got a lot of month left before that next paycheck and i don't know how i'm going to take care of all those needs and and lord i know you could provide but but I'm, I'm i'm lacking something right now my situation needs to come into a collision with christ this morning but i want you to see first and foremost god doesn't just come into our life to make bad people good and a lot of times people think that's what jesus is for that jesus is there just to make the bad people good that all the bad people just wants to make them good no Jesus has come, not just to make the bad people good, but to bring the dead people to life. You say, what do you mean life? You talking zombies? You talking resurrection? No, let me clarify for a second. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new the word there that new creature means that you now are have been regened that you almost it's almost like you share dna with god that he has so changed you not from the outside but from the inside god has so changed you that's what he wants to do in your life he wants to bring the dead things to life and in john chapter number four it's a very familiar passage of scripture many people know it many people have heard of it matter of fact if i say it you'll kind of get it it's the passage about the woman on the well and it's a famous passage it's famous but there's some interesting things to note that this woman we don't know her name but we know the passage we know the story that's the woman at the well here's a a a a familiar passage of scripture that scripture never tells us the name of this woman even though she's going to go on to really do some incredible things we don't know her name we just know her situation we know her need and we know how god meets her and so we're going to begin in verse number three and the bible says this and if i'm messing with this it's because last week we broke the other headset and i'm using the old one and so this one is obnoxious so if i throw it or something you know don't get mad hopefully i don't hit anybody but uh these things just kind of bug me all right so in verse number three notice what the bible says 
He left Judea and departed into Galilee. And he said to his disciples that went with them that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, for some of you, um, let me lay out the geography for you, okay? He's in Galilee, which would be like Northern California, and he's wanting to go down south, which would be like Southern California. And in the middle is where nobody wants to go. It's my hometown. It's called Fresno. Everybody hates Fresno. Even people that live in Fresno hate Fresno. It's just because they have cheap houses is why they live there. And their dogs and their cats and their cows, all right? That's who lives in Fresno, all right? Now imagine this. You're going down, and instead of just taking the five all the way to Southern California, you're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to avoid this city, and I'm going to go through Fresno. I'm going to avoid Fresno. So you'd go the long way to avoid it. It's 70 miles from where Jesus was to where he wanted to go by a straight line. But the Jews at this time hated the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. That this, these, these Jews, what they literally would do is they would, this, it's a 70-mile trip. They would literally go out of their way 140 miles just to go around Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. You say, what did the Samaritans do? Well, the Samaritans were Jews at one point. But they were invaded because Samaria is kind of on the coast. They were invaded by Assyrians and other people. And they came and uh, the spoils of war. They took some of the Jewish women and they married them. And so now you have half Jews and you have half whatever. And so they were, uh, 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 hopefully I don't offend you, they were mutts. All right, that's what they were. And the Jews didn't like them very much. And they, were, they, they, they didn't like that they brought in some of their pagan practices. And so the Jews, devout Jews, just said, we don't want anything to do with them. But here Jesus, he's saying, hey, guys, I have to go through Samaria. Like, I can't just leave this up to something else. I can't just leave this alone. I'm going. And he decides that, hey, I'm going to go. In verse number five, here's what happens. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Now, you say, why would the city's name be Samaria, but then it has like a nickname? Uh, You and I, we're kind of familiar with this. Uh, Can anybody tell me what's another name for Las Vegas? Sin City. Samaria had another name. And if you didn't want to call it Samaria, you would say Sychar. I remember one time uh, I was a junior kid, just below 12, and some of you are like, well, you look like a junior. Now, shut up. And uh, so uh, I, was, I was younger at the time. We were going to a camp, and we were going to this camp in Arizona, and we left Fresno to go to Arizona. Now, in Barstow, you got a couple freeways, one to go to Arizona, then I think it's like the 15 that goes to Las Vegas. My dad got distracted in this 15-passenger van with about a dozen other junior kids who have to go pee and drink too much of their big gulp, and they miss mom, and they, they, they forgot something, deodorant. And so we're on the way to go, but my dad got confused, and he gets on, I think it's the 15, headed towards Las Vegas. Well, all of a sudden, my dad starts seeing all these casinos, and now he starts getting really worried because he's got all these little kids. And my dad, I kid you not, you can see Las Vegas. As you come down into Las Vegas, you drive in there, he stops the van, 
he pulls out the old Red McNally map. You remember that? This is before Siri. I've lost the younger generation completely. But for some of you others, you remember a Rand McNally map and folding it and highlighting it. You remember that. And some of you are like, that's horrible. Don't ever bring that up. Those were just awful memories. My dad pulled that out of the glove box, and he started looking for a road that went around Las Vegas. I kid you not, we're in this 15-passenger van on our way to Arizona, and my dad is finding dirt roads to go around Las Vegas because he didn't want to drive through Las Vegas. Our trip that was supposed to take about 10 hours took about 16 and a half hours with junior kids because my dad decided, I don't want to go through Las Vegas. I want to go around Las Vegas, which is funny. A couple years later, he vacationed in Las Vegas. So I'm just kind of like, hmm, double standard. But this is kind of the point. The Jews decided, hey, we're going to go to this city. Here, here Jesus said, I got to go there. Verse number six, the Bible says, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. This is noon, okay? The, the sun is at its highest point. It's noon. And then verse number seven, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. It's interesting. All of them went to go to Samaria. Like, all of them. Well, I mean, how many people does it take to go get groceries? Apparently, all 12. They all got to go. It's a field trip. I don't understand it. It's kind of like when the ladies need to go to the restroom. It's a party, okay? They all just kind of go, all right? We men don't understand it. But in this passage, I don't quite understand why all of them went. But they all went. And here's Jesus. And Jesus knows what's about to happen. Because Jesus has a collision with this woman. He wants to change and see her life change. And the Bible says, there comes this woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, verse number nine, how is it that thou being a Jew asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Um, verse number 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. Can I say something that's totally not related to the message? Never tell Jesus you have nothing. Let that sink in. She just told Jesus, you don't have anything. You don't have anything to meet my need. And Jesus thinking, I'm sitting on a well, but I am a well. Everything that you really need is not down in this hole. It's inside of me. And for some of you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know if this church can really, really help me. This church can't. But Jesus can. I don't know if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to get through. And you're getting nervous and you're getting worried. And it's almost like you're telling God, I don't know if you have anything to help my situation. That's what this woman did. Because she underestimated. The biggest understatement of the century was that Jesus has nothing. And Jesus is like, girl, I made this world. I can take care of you. I don't need a bucket. But notice what she says. Thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is 
deep. I almost wonder if really when she says the well is deep, if she's almost talking about her own problems. The problems are deep. And for some of you, you come to church and the problems are deep. The problems are generational. Your mom had the problem. Your grandmother had the problem. And now it just seems like it's been passed on and you don't know how to break the cycle. For some of you, you say, my father was an alcoholic, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and, and it's just kind of passed down, and, and I'm just kind of stuck with this. And your problems run deep. But then she says, from whence thou hast that living water. Verse number 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof of himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your help. I need your strength. I pray that you would allow us to receive something from you this morning. I pray that you would speak to hearts, that you would encourage us this morning. I pray that you would help us this morning. I pray that we would get a truth from your word that would change our lives. I pray that we would see that you have a special divine appointment for each one of us. You have a place in history, a place in time that you want us to intersect with you. And I pray that we would have that encounter this morning. I pray for those that are here and they may not know why they're here. And this is just a, a, a random thing to them, but help them to realize that just like Jesus was waiting for that woman, Jesus is here waiting for them. Pray that you bless this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you touch somebody next to you and would you say this is a job for Jesus? This is a job for Jesus. This is a job for Jesus this morning. And Jesus says, yes, I will handle this. You see, Jesus will go out of his way to get you back into the right way. But I love how Jesus starts off with talking about water. He starts talking to her and he's telling her, hey, you're thirsty. And it's amazing when you think about dehydration. Did you know you're dehydrated long before you ever feel dehydrated? Hey, we're kind of, we're out of the winter season. In the wintertime, most people don't drink enough water. Why? Because it's just not hot. You don't move around as much, you're not sweating. But most of the time, we just walk around. We don't realize that we're actually slightly dehydrated. You say, how much water are we supposed to drink? Does anybody know how much water you're supposed to drink? A lot. I heard a lot. Somebody had it. I didn't think we'd have anybody that knew. Everybody always says eight cups of water a day, and you're actually wrong. It's half your body weight. So whatever your body is, divide that, and whatever the ounces is, that's how many ounces you need to drink. You're like, that's a lot of water, and it's a drought, so sorry, uh, more coffee, you know. And uh, no, 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 we're supposed to be drinking that amount of water, okay? Because why? You will feel dehydrated long after you actually are dehydrated. Sometimes people come to church and say, I I just didn't get anything out of that message. And what I want to tell them is almost like, that's dumb thinking. Because you don't know what need you're going to have. And so when you come to church, it's like we're taking a drink. When you open your Bible and your devotions, it's like you're taking a drink. And when you pray to God, it's like, hey, I need your help, and you're taking 
a drink. But people that come to church and are thinking, hey, I don't know if that message really helps me. I'll just kind of come every once in a while because I don't know if it's really helping. Here's the fact of the matter. God has something in your future that you are not aware of. And he wants to give you some principles that will help you with that future event. There's a verse that you may hear. There's a word that you may receive. And God is saying, hey, you don't know that you're going to lose your job. You don't know that that relative's going to pass away. Hey, you don't know that this issue is going to come up. You don't know that you're going to be diagnosed with this. And so I'm giving you a word that when you are later in life, you could say, that was it. That's why I went to church. I didn't know if that would really stick with me. I don't know if that would really stay with me. But there it was. There was the word of God. And so don't go to church. Don't open your devotions. And don't pray and just think, well, I don't know if that did any good. Understand that the Bible says the word of the Lord does not return Void. It is powerful and it'll help. So don't come to church with the attitude like, hey, bless me if you can. Give me something if you dare. But we need to come with a heart that says, hey, I'm going to hear something that I may need today. I might need tomorrow, but I definitely will need it in the future. That needs to be the attitude that when we open up our Bible for our personal devotions, when we come to the word of God, that we're saying, Lord, what do you have for me today or tomorrow or really for my future. That needs to be the attitude because oftentimes Christians are dehydrated and they come to church just thinking, oh, it's just kind of sing and they just kind of, you know, I don't know if I want to sing. I will rise. They were just squeaking something out. And I, I forget it. I don't care. Shout to the Lord. You're just like a whisper to the Lord, you know? You're singing the song and it's just kind of like, nah, I'm not feeling it. You're so dehydrated because you haven't taken a drink. You haven't seen what the psalmist said in Psalms 42, 42, where it says, As the heart, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul pants for you. Some of you, your soul is so dry, and you're wondering why you're having so many difficulties. You're wondering why it seems like God is so distant, because you're thirsty this morning. And I'd like to say to you, take a drink, and I'm going to, because I've got this cough. But understand that, that this morning, here this woman, she missed it though, didn't she? Notice if you would, verse number 11, what the Bible says. It says, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence thou hast that living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? She didn't know who Jesus was, did she? She didn't understand who it was. She was missing it. And I want you to write this down if you would. What we perceive will affect what we receive. What we perceive will affect what we receive. If you come with an attitude like, God, I don't really know if you work. I don't know if this is really going to happen. Understand that, that yeah, you're going to get, you're going to receive what you perceive. Because perception for many of us is reality. If you're always saying, oh, my boss is an idiot. My boss is stupid. And then somebody asks you, hey, how do you like your job? I don't like my job. Well, if you notice that you just have this ongoing track, I'm going to preach a series of messages right after Easter, and we're going to deal with this topic, how what we think affects our emotions and our heart. And the key to it is the activity of the mind affects the attitude of the heart. Some of you wonder, why, why am I depressed, and why am I discouraged, and why am I irritable? Do you know a lot of it has to do with your mind? You say, what do you mean? I'll prove it to you. Imagine your favorite dinner. 
whatever your favorite meal is. If it's a juicy steak, that favorite restaurant, Alexander's, maybe it's Logan's, maybe it's McDonald's. I don't know. Some people out there might be. And, and imagine that right now, and you've got that favorite meal in mind, and you're kind of hungry. You didn't eat breakfast this morning, and, and, and they'd already put up the Keurig and the coffee and that stuff, and you're really hungry. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about that in your mind, and you start thinking of that nice, medium rare New York strip with that special steak sauce, the baked potato with all of the butter and trans fat and salt. And you just don't care what the scale says after you eat it because you're going to wash this down with a nice drink and then you're going to have a nice big fat slice of chocolate cake with chocolate frosting with chocolate syrup and throw whatever chocolate stuff you got, just put it on there. All of a sudden, you know what your mouth started doing as you began to think about it? Watering. Why would your mouth start watering when you're thinking about food? Because your mind affects your whole body. And we don't think that. We don't think that as we walk around, oh, I I can't stand my wife, can't stand my wife, can't stand my wife. No wonder your relationship's not working out. Because as you start thinking these thoughts, it's affecting the rest of you. Because what you perceive affects what you receive. She perceives him to just be some dude, some man. She doesn't understand who this is. And she even dares to ask the question, do you think you're greater than Joseph? And once again, it's almost like Jesus could say, girl, Joseph's name was Israel. He was a prince with God. That's what Israel means. I'm the king of kings. I'm not no little prince. I am the Lord of lords. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to rule and reign here. I'm going to die on a cross for your sins. I'm Jesus. He doesn't do that though. But here this woman, she's missing out on what she could receive because of what she perceives. Sometimes I think you miss out on what you could receive from not only the word of God, not only your relationship, not only your job, not only from church, because how you perceive it. Another Sunday, let's go. Is there anything better to do? Come on, anything. We can, like, is there a home and garden show at the San Jose Fairgrounds? I don't care if we might get mugged and robbed in our car, come back with no tires on it, but let's just, come on, something. Is there anything? Like, uh, is McDonald's having a grand opening? Let's just do something. Uh, Oh, there's nothing. Okay, we'll go to church. Okay, we'll go to church. It's kind of the last resort. And then you drag into church, and you're like, yep, it was almost a waste of time. I didn't really get anything. But if you come hungry and thirsty, every week you'll get something. It doesn't necessarily have to be from my preaching. It could be from a word from another Christian in the room that says, hey, I prayed for you. Hey, I thought about your problem. Here's a verse for you. Hey, can we pray right now? Hey, how are you doing today? No, really, how are you doing? It may be just that warm handshake. It may be that hug. It may be somebody that just says, hey, I believe you're going to make it through this. I believe that God's got something better for you on the other side of this. You're going to make it through. You're going to be okay. But if you just kind of come in and just like, nobody's very friendly at this church. Did you shake anybody's hand? No. Well, okay, all right. (laughs) You kind of get what you give. If you're friendly, people will be friendly. Understand, so she didn't know who he was or what he could do or what it was that he truly was offering. Too often we worry about how God will do something instead of asking God to do something. You know what she used as some excuses? She used race as an excuse. She said, hey, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She's throwing the race card. Understand something. 
Racism is not a God-made problem. It's a man-made problem. And it's been around for eons, this race problem. Here it is right in Scripture. You think, no, no, the race problem, that, that just happens in Ferguson and Oakland. No. That's been around. That's one of Satan's methods to use. He's been using it for a long time. And, and this thing of racial equality, understand the Bible says in Genesis 1.28, I have created all men equal. They're in my image. We are image bearers of God. And so for this woman, she had missed it. She's playing this race card where God, God, Jesus, and I love the fact, Jesus doesn't even address it. He's like, that's a stupid thing to say. Didn't say it to her, but he just lets it go because it's not worth having that argument. It's not worth going there. And he says, she's going to use race as an excuse. Then she has a reason as an excuse. You say, what do you mean she uses her reason as an excuse? Here's a woman. She's probably had some hard times. We're going to develop her story in a little bit. But for some of you, you know that she's had five husbands. And the one she's currently living with is not her husband. Here she is, somebody that's thirsty but not thirsty for water. There's something else she's trying to satisfy. And let's not judge her too quickly because you and I do the same thing. Did you really need that sports car? Or was that you trying to satisfy something? Did you really need that new gadget? Or was that you just trying to satisfy something? Or you just felt like you weren't complete unless you had that? Did you really need to start uh, break up with that person, be with that person because you felt like that just would finally satisfy it? It wouldn't. Here this woman, she's trying everything to satisfy. That's why I've called this method satisfaction guaranteed. She's the reason, and here she's been through some hard times. This woman, she is, she's a bad mamma damma. She really is. Here's a woman that she says, hey, I'm not going to go in the morning. I'm not going to go in the evening. I'm going to go the hottest part of the day. I don't want to mess with people. And she's kind of snarky with Jesus. I mean, you look at the Bible and you, you, you kind of say, the word of God says, don't read it like that. I wouldn't want to read it like that. But here's what it is. Jesus says, hey, I'm thirsty. And the woman says, dude, you got nothing to draw water with. Besides, you're a Jew. And we don't have any dealing. She wasn't, oh, let me fetch you a water. Let me, let me give you a little umbrella. Put in, let me get you some ice or something. Let me do, no, this woman's had a hard life. How do you think she's going to respond? With some cynicism. A little bit of critique. A little bit of bite to it life hasn't been easy on her for some of you life hasn't been easy on you either and for some of you other people look at you and say why are you so critical or cynical and you're thinking because man i've been on my own since i was 16 i've had to pay my own way i've had to do it all myself nobody gave me a hand out or a hand up no what i have i earned and you have a lot of hurt this woman, underneath that crusty exterior, has a lot of hurt. But you know what happens? Hard times make us hateful. They just do. When you go through these hard times, and you're trying to barrel through it, and you're trying to make it through, it just makes you start resenting everything, resenting God, and resenting church, and resenting what God is doing. And you just start feeling more and more alone, more and more isolated. And some of you... You're hanging on to those hurts and hard times. Because it's all you know. That's all you know. You've never known anything better. But Jesus says, that's why I'm here. I'm about to change all that. 
So she had a race as an excuse. She had a reason as an excuse. And then she's, get this, uh, verse number uh, 14. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto her, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come. (laughs) Jesus said unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou, thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Verse number 20, notice this. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. It's amazing. She's going to use the religion card as an excuse. All of a sudden, she couldn't push Jesus away. She couldn't give him a reason to just leave me alone. Now she's got to pull out religion. You know what religion is? It's man's attempt to get to God. That's what religion is. And we've been doing it ever since Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel because Abel offered the first fruit of his flock. Well, Cain, he offered fruits and vegetables. And the Bible doesn't say it was first, doesn't say it was last. He just says he just offered some fruits and vegetables. That's all the Bible says. He offered what he did. That's the epitome of religion. It's you feeling like I've got to earn my way to Jesus. Pretty soon we're going to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus was praying and his prayer was so intense that the capillaries in his forehead began to burst and blood began to pour through his forehead because the veins had busted. And all of a sudden now he's, he's dripping sweats of blood because he's so in anguish and so much uh, turmoil inside because he knows he's going to die on a cross for people that, that don't want him, that hate him. And you know what he says to God? He says, God, if there's any other way, Let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way. And then that's when God lovingly says, you're right, there is another way. We just got to tell everybody if they're good enough, they can get there. But you could still die on the cross if you want to, but we'll just tell everybody, just be good. Is that what God said? It's not, my friends. Oh, no, 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 God said go to church in the movie theater, theater number five. That's where he said you'll get to heaven. No, that's not what he said. Give lots of money. That'll do it. That's not what he said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. See, religion is an excuse. And I think some of you are hiding behind religion. I'll talk to you about your need, and, and, I, and I'll talk to people and invite them to church. And all of a sudden, it's amazing who will get religious. I always have a hard time telling people what I do. Somebody sent me a great video on Facebook this week about talking about how you're a pastor in the church. And it, it just cracked me up because that's exactly how you feel. How do you explain to people when they say, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, and then you say, um, like, I, uh, I preach for a living like they're like how do i get that gig like what's that like 45 minutes a week that's an awesome job man you got it made i'm telling you what i've been missing my calling and then when you tell them then all of a sudden it's amazing i meet prophets i meet priestess i meet like warlocks i meet people that are like i'm a deacon i'm an elder i mean you just they just come out of the woodwork once you talk about religion everybody's religious but religion is a failed attempt for man to get to god 
When God said, hey, in Luke chapter number two, I sent my son to earth. He wore a dirt suit. He took the form of flesh. He became one of you. Like the video said, he said, hey, we can now enter into the presence of God because Jesus didn't just come down to us. He became one of us. So there is only one way, my friends. He said, hey, we can go worship in this mountain. We're, we're religious. Yeah, I may have five husbands. I may not be able to satisfy the inner desires of my heart. But guess what? I'm an upstanding citizen before God. Can you see the hurt? Can you see that she's hiding? She's deflecting? And some of us do the same thing every Sunday. When God's saying, come on, you can change this. Can you do this? Oh, no, that's not my problem. So-and-so's got that problem. I know they've got that issue. And God says, no, I'm, I'm trying to deal with you. This is me and you having a collision. This is me and you having a moment. She tried to use religion as an excuse. But religion is always a failed attempt. Verse number 18, she said, hey, here she is. Number two, write this down. Things will pacify you, but only Jesus will satisfy you. Things will pacify you, but only Jesus will satisfy you. In verse number 18, here she is. She's talking, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, I got to go deeper with this woman. She's not quite getting the message, so I got to go a little bit deeper. So all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. And it's like, she just shut up. It's like, whoa, this guy knows something. This guy knows what's up. And she said, I have no husband. And then Jesus says, I know. You've had five. Because here was a woman that was trying to satisfy something. But things will only pacify you. Only Jesus will satisfy you. Verse number 18 reminds me of a story. There was a woman, she was getting married. And uh, she went on her wedding cake, 1 John 4, 18. Which says, perfect love cast out all fear. The cake decorator called her and said are you sure you want this verse 418 and she says yeah yeah yeah. i I want it's my life verse i love that verse put it on my cake gets to the wedding day and everybody's been a wonderful ceremony it's been exciting and then they come in to cut the cake and she sees not first john 418 which says perfect love casts out all fear but she sees john 418 which says Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou art with is not thy husband. All of a sudden, she's mortified at that moment. He messed up. How do you like that preacher humor? It's pretty pathetic, I know. I worked on that all week for you guys. Come on. Sympathy, laugh, if nothing else. You know, here, here Jesus is in this passage, and he's now going to minister to her. You see, Jesus is spiritually what the well was naturally. You know, this well still exists today. You can go get a drink from it right now if you wanted to. It's still 80 feet deep. You can go drop your bucket and get a drink from this very well, Jacob's well, still in existence, still in use today. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your need, I'll take care of it. What you're dealing with, I'll help you. You know, many people, they're going through life trying to satisfy something. You never met a heroin addict that says, I just need one more fix and I'm done. I just need that last fix and man, I won't ever need that stuff again. You never meet an alcoholic who's like, I just need that one last beer and I'll never need another beer again. Because that'll be the beer to end all beers. 
You never meet somebody who's just had an all-night pornography binge who just says, I just need to see one more image and I'll never see, need to see any other image ever again. God, quiet me here. Because the Bible said, the eyes of man are never satisfied. And you're going to try to fill your life full of things that you think are going to satisfy and let me tell you something. Jesus gives you some wonderful gifts to, yes, satisfy. But apart from Christ, you're never going to be truly satisfied. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I want to go to church more. Yeah, I want to read my Bible more. Yeah, I want to have a better relationship. Yeah, I want to be a better person. But if you don't have Jesus, it's all for nothing. You're just going to be a good religious guy who's trying to fill a void that Jesus said, I'm the only one that can fill it. And for some of you, you know this is true. And you spent years and years trying to fill that void. And you have finally come to the point where you realize that yes, it is true what that old song said, that when I come to the place that you're all I have, I find that you are all I need. And you've gotten you've got to that point. And you're looking back and you're like, yeah, that's true. I've tried it all. I've done it all. But it didn't satisfy. But then you came to that point where it's like you met Jesus and it changed. It changed. Jesus did something. He changed you. He changed your heart. He changed your desires and you're a new creature. You're a new creation. All of a sudden you can go past places that you used to go and you're thinking, I don't need it anymore. People that he used to be around, I don't need them anymore. You look at your phone and you're thinking, I don't need that anymore. I've got something better. I've got something that's satisfaction guaranteed, my friends. And that's what this church is all about. We're out there to give something. We're out there to give people that living water, that eternal water, Jesus Christ, to tell them that he's it. Look, folks, it's not me. I can't do anything. It's not you. It's Jesus I've gone way over my time. Let me wrap it up with this last thought. Don't fixate on your faults, but on his forgiveness. Don't fixate on his fault, your faults, but on his forgiveness. Oh, man, you folks are way too quiet for this thought. I wish we had time. I feel some preaching coming on, but some of you are just like you're asleep for this and trying to wake you up. You got to go to this passage. Look at, look at it, okay? So she goes in verse number 29. No, 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 verse 28, verse 28. The Bible says this. The woman then left her water pot. Wasn't that the reason why she came? Was to get a drink? And what did she do? She left it. She found something else. Not only did she find something else, notice what she does in the very next verse. Then they went out into the city and came unto him. And then verse 29, she said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She got it. She got that drink. For the first time in her life, folks, she realized that God's got a plan. God hasn't given up on her. That God says, hey, your past is not your future. Your future is going to be way better than your past. Because you found Jesus this morning. And if you know that to be so in your own life, it's time to clap and give God some praise this morning. If you believe that Jesus can make a difference in your life. Because I'm tired of Christians who sit back and say, I got Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? No, he's not. He's 
way more than that. Don't sit back. The world doesn't want that. They want something that's real, something that's alive. That's what this city needs, not something dead and tired, but something that says, meet a man. He, 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 he's satisfied. For the first time, I feel satisfied. There's that burning hole in my heart. It's filled. I don't need anything else. He, she had finally met it. Notice what happens. I, I, we don't have time. Verse number 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. Many of the Samaritans, God said, hey, here's this one person. A brief encounter can make a big difference. A brief encounter can make a big difference. I told the people in our VIP meeting, for those that are onboarding with the church, they're new to the church. I said, Southridge Baptist Church, we exist not to make a dent in this city. We exist to make a difference in this city. We're not just here to just kind of, oh, do church up in the theater. No, no, no. We're here to make a difference. We're here to stand up, to be heard, to be known, to do something. We're not just here playing church, playing patty cake, sing a couple songs, put a couple bucks in the offering plate. We are here to be Christ, to share Christ, and to love others in this city because we're here to make a difference church that's what we're all about and if you are fixated on your faults don't be because god says all things are passed away behold all things are become new amen God has got some great things for you, church. He's got some great things for you. And if you're that woman this morning, if you're that man this morning that just feels like I'm so empty, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here to give you that. I'm here to meet your need. I'm here to satisfy. I'm here to take care of it. We've went way over time. Let's all stand and let's pray.